Yesterday morning, about mid-morning, I was uh, just looking through. I opened up Facebook, which I'm not really a big Facebook person, but I looked at it, and I'm just reading a couple of articles, and there was a lot of articles and stuff about, uh, you know, uh, abortion and things like that. And so I, I just, I wasn't thinking anything about it, and so I closed it down, and then I went to my notes on my message. And I was going to go over that, and, and I felt like the Spirit of God inside of me just said, you don't preach that, I want you to preach something else. And um, so I'm preaching something else today. And, but you have to, pro- is everybody listening? I want you to promise me that you will not form an opinion till that the very end of the sermon. <clears throat> I'm going to ask this side. Obviously, they, I'm going to ask you all not to form an opinion till the very end of the sermon. Okay, let me ask you one more time. So you've had time to think about it now. I'm going to ask you not to form an opinion till the very end of the sermon. Help me, Jesus. You know, a lot of times as a pastor, you hope people hear your heart and not just your Kentucky language that comes out. Are you hearing me? And so that's my prayer this morning, that you will hear my heart, because I believe that God, this is a message from him. I really believe, I believe every message I preach is from him, but this one, you know, it's just, let's just start, okay? I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures right at the beginning real quick. All right, you ready? Just hang on. All right, ready? Go. Psalms 139.13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. You saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they were all written. The days fashioned from me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Next one, Psalms 139, 16, the Passion Translation. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd ever seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you are thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Isn't that neat that God does that? Did you hear what I just said? Did you hear what God said? He said that you cherish, that you are what? Let's just start the beginning. Every single moment you are thinking of me. Every moment God is thinking about you, ladies and gentlemen. And he says this is how he's thinking of you. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Man, that's good. Oh, God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. When I wake each morning, you're still with me. Psalms 22.10, I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Luke 1.15, he will be one of the great ones in the sight of God. He will drink no wine or strong drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even while still in his mother's womb. Luke 1, 43, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. There's many more scriptures to, to prove that the baby is alive and well inside the mother's womb. 
all right? Having said that, I was minding my own business, and the Lord says, tomorrow, I want you to be a voice for the women who've had an abortion. Everybody breathe. I want you to be a voice for women that have had an abortion because he said there's, there's people that you know that you don't know that have had an abortion. There's probably women here that have had an abortion. They keep it a secret. Because if it was let out, they will not feel loved, welcome, or accepted. And the Lord says, that's not what I want. I know as church people, and I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about church around the world. We come across sometimes, not meaningly, hopefully not meaningly, in a very condemning way, very critical way. Church people have a way of doing that, unfortunately. I believe, in my opinion, the church has done a terrible injustice in what the church disagrees upon or stands against. I believe, with all of my heart, that, um, you know, let me just back up. People who've never darkened the doors of a church know what the church stands against. Who've never gone to church ever, and they know what we stand against. That's wrong. With an exclamation point to the nth degree times a thousand. No one should know what we stand against before they know what we stand for. And unfortunately, I don't believe the world knows that. And God says, I want that to change. I can preach till I'm blue in the face, but I'm telling you, as long as I'm pastor here, any woman that's ever had an abortion is not only going to be welcomed and accepted, but she's going to know that she's going to be loved here in this place. Amen. Amen. Jesus said this in 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Resist revenge and make sure that no one pays back evil, the place of evil, but always pursue doing what is beautiful to one another and to all the unbelievers. I should have put the King James Version up there. It's the New King James. It says to pursue good. Now let me set a foundation for you. I am not justifying abortion. You do understand that, all right? Just make sure we're perfectly clear. And if you are a very strong activist, you know, against abortion, I'm not saying that you're doing wrong. Are you hearing me? But what I am saying is, do the people that we minister to, do they know that they're loved in spite of what they have done or are doing? I don't believe the world knows that. I believe the world thinks that we're just against them, period. Because... We, they disagree with our stance. Well, this scripture kind of jumped out at me, Luke 16, 16. It says, the law and the prophets were proclaimed unto John. Since that time, the gospel of the kingdom of God has been preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. You understand what that scripture is saying? 
He's saying the law up to John was being preached and people really wasn't tearing the walls down of the church to get inside. But he said now that the kingdom of the gospel, which is the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, everyone is just forcing their way into it. And I went, not here. Not in America. I don't know about you, but when I come to church, nobody's just lined up, you know, to the street, you know, ready to get in. Even though I think it's a great message being preached here. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and this is what I was thinking. Maybe, just maybe it's because we're preaching the wrong message that people aren't knocking the door down. That's my opinion. I believe that the world needs to know more about what we stand for. I said, I believe the world needs to know what we're standing for. That you're loved, that you're accepted, and that Jesus died for you. See, I firmly believe in John 3, 16, the whole world knows that. People who don't go to church know that scripture. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But you know what? The scripture, I believe, is just as important as that one that nobody hardly quotes. is the one right after that in verse 17. Verse 17, that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. Did you hear that? God did not send Jesus into this world to condemn it. Yet you see condemnation flowing out of the mouths of Christians and believers and pastors and preachers all over the planet. But Jesus said, I didn't come here to condemn the world. The world, I am sister. I'm a funny guy. Anyway. You know, I've said this before in John chapter 13. It said Jesus could have picked, God could have picked anything that he wanted to know, that the, for the world to know that we're followers of Christ, that we're disciples. But he picked one thing. He said, this is how the world is going to know that you're followers of me. Your love for one another. He could have picked anything. I told the first service, I thought, he could have said, you know, you know, the Jewish people, they have to learn the first five books by memory, the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. They have to memorize them. I would not have been a follower of Jesus because there's, I, could, I, don't, I just would not have memorized, I don't know. Maybe you could have, and everybody would have known you were a follower of Jesus, not me. I would have been like... I'm one of those tribes, maybes, and wannabes, and can't be because I didn't learn it. But he could have said anything like that. You got to know your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You got to do this, you do that. But there was only one thing he said the world's going to know that you're my disciple is because you love one another. You see, I believe that the world knows that what we stand against and how that we, we, we can come across it. If you ever do get an abortion, man, I just tell you, you're a terrible person and you're just not accepted. And the Lord wants the world to know that that is not his heart. You know, in church, you know, I was raised, I was saved when I was seven years old in church. 
We went to church every Sunday. You know, we had to. <laughs> and so, uh, but I just remember growing up in church. You can sense what's going on even when you're a kid. Especially when you become a teenager, you really know what's going on. You know, and, and if somebody ever, God forbid, got a divorce in your church, oh my goodness. You get a divorce, you're, you're, you, you, it's not a known said thing, but it's like you're put on a blacklist. You know, and if you see them in public, you just go. You know, the standard for God during the time of law, before grace came, before Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, the time of law is this. He said, uh, you've heard that you shouldn't murder. But he says, I'm telling you, if you have aught against your brother, if you argue with your brother and, and hate your brother, it's the same as murder. You've heard not to commit adultery. But if you look at a woman and go, You've committed adultery. <laughs> so what's the point? He's saying you need Jesus because we can't keep the law. I'm not going to see if there's a show of hands, but anybody get really ticked at somebody? You committed murder according to the law. That's B.C., before Jesus. My point is this, the law was to point you to the Lord Jesus Christ saying that you cannot be righteous in your own self. You can't keep things and be a good person in and of yourselves and claim to be righteous. You need Jesus. So I don't know about you, but I'm glad that Jesus came because I needed him. I know that, how many have heard of T.D. Jakes? He's a famous person pastor he's got I think one of the top five largest churches in America I could be wrong but definitely the top 10 but I think the top five I saw him interviewed one time and it just broke my heart because I'm a pastor he said the hardest thing he's ever gone through he said is that he had a teenage daughter young teenage daughter and she got pregnant and he said the church just ripped her up you know you're a pastor's daughter you should know better than that you ooh I've got a daughter. You know, and just the father in me wants to get in the flesh and say, I think we need to have a come to Jesus meeting. You know what kind of meeting that is? My kids know what that means. <laughs> that means you better hope Jesus comes before we have the meeting. <laughs> so if I was T.D. Jakes, I would have said, we're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. It's a shame that Christians treat Christians that way, much less unbelievers. He said that was the hardest thing in the world for him, you know, to hear what they said about his daughter. I remember there was a couple in my, our church that um, the wife had an affair, and so they got in a divorce. And, uh, you know, the wife, she left, and, you know, I'm, we didn't see her or whatever, and and the guy I was ministering to, he met me pretty regularly. And he was hurting, which I can understand, obviously. And, uh, but after several weeks, you know, he seemed just to get bitter and bitter and bitter to the point that he kept saying something that at first I ignored because of his hurt. 
But he kept going on, so I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to confront him on this. He kept saying this. She will never be blessed by God. So finally I said, you know what, you're wrong. You're really wrong. You see the story of the prodigal son is this, is that when his son left the house and he went and he lived with harlots and he, he lived just so terribly like the world to where he spent all of his money that he lived with the pigs, ate what the pigs did, looked all muddy like the pig, smelled like a pig. But this is the one thing the Lord wants you and I to know. He still was his father's son. He was not a pig. Smelled like one, ate like one, but he was not a pig. And it seems like church people would say, you pig, you. The great story about that is when he comes home, he says, man, I'm just going to go be a slave in my daddy's house. Man, this is so terrible. I'm just going to. And this is the only time recorded in the Bible to my knowledge is that when his father saw his son afar off, it says his father ran to him. He ran. He ran to him. And he began to apologize. You know, Lord, I, did, I mean, Father, I did this, Father. And he just shut him down. And he said, you're my son, and I'm so glad you're home. And the son came home thinking he was like a pig, but the father, listen to me now, had to change his mentality and say, put the best robe you got that I have in my possession and put it on him. Get the ring, the biggest ring. Go kill the fatted calf. My son, my son, not my pig, but my son has come home. And he's now able to enjoy all of the blessings of God. He couldn't enjoy all the blessings because he thought he was a pig, acted like a pig. He never was a pig. But then once he found out, I'm still my daddy's child. I'm telling you, there's people outside this church that need to know that you're still daddy's child. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what they say about you. You're still your daddy's child. The woman caught in the act of adultery. The woman caught in the act of adultery. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. And all the religious people gathered, put her in the center. Wouldn't that have been a lovely meeting? <laughs> what meaning is this? Oh, let's go find out. It's a stoning meaning, man. They gathered stones and they're going to stone this one because that was the law. The law says you get caught in adultery, you get stoned. And we're not talking about this stuff. We're talking about dead. You get dead. We're in Colorado for those who are watching online. You may not understand. But anyway. <laughs> Ooh, I'm having fun. But anyway. Jesus said, whosoever without sin cast the first stone. They all walked away. You realize that Jesus could have picked up the rock and let her have it. But he said, daughter, where are your accusers? They're gone. And this is what he said. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. She could go. Most people concentrate on, see, go and sin no more. No, you can't go and sin no more unless you have condemnation released from you. 
If you have guilt and shame and condemnation, you're still trapped by the sin. But if you're free from guilt and shame and condemnation, now you're free to go and sin no more. We get the cart before the horse. You better quit sinning. You better quit that. And you shouldn't have done that. Listen to me. People who are, and let me just make sure I'm going to reiterate because there's a couple people in this. If you are strong in the against abortion, so am I. But listen to me. We don't have a right to spit out of our mouth how strong we are if we're not enveloping that, that God loves them. Hmm. I failed in that. I don't know about you, my walk with God. I failed in that. I used to be slap you upside the head type person, you know. You need to straighten up. That really helps people, doesn't it? It's like going to T.D. Jake's daughter and go, you shut that dick back. That was terrible. That helped. I'm sure that helped her. I'm sure that helped her. Not. That was sarcasm 101. But anyway, my point is this. But the church does that. We do that. We do that. And the Lord revealed to me yesterday. He said, this is the thing, Mike. He says, if we keep telling people they're wrong and they're doing this, they're going to keep doing that. And they're going down that road to do it again and again and again. He says, if you can get a woman who's had an abortion and let her know that she has a God encounter with love. With love, true love and acceptance and and saying that you're welcome. That will transform her to go a different direction. That word is called repentance. It's called repentance. Repentance means you're going the way of the pigsty. And if you repent, now you're going the way that God wants you to go. That's true repentance. And he said that can only happen when they have a love encounter. That they know that they're loved, that they're accepted, and they're welcome. I'm telling you, God wants that to happen in our city. He wants to happen in our nation. There's so much division. There's so much hate. And the world thinks the church hates them. Hosea chapter 3 verse 5 says this. I didn't fin- did I finish the story about the guy that I was counseling to and I said, no, you're wrong? I didn't think so. <laughs> this is what happened. He got bitter later and he left the church. Now he's not going to church and she is. I'm just saying, where there's love, where sin does abound, grace, the love of God much more abounds. We need to be preachers of love and grace. You may disagree with me, but I'm telling you, we'll see more people transformed than any church or any time in history when we preach that God loves you and accepts you. I'm not condoning anything, so don't get on that bandwagon. You sin, there's consequences at sin. You have an affair, yeah, you're going to probably lose your marriage. But I'm just saying this. In the midst of all that, the church has just let them go by the wayside. And God says, I want that one. God says, Mike, I want the church to know that every woman that has had an abortion, I still love her. And I still accept her. And you make sure that she's going to be welcomed in your church. So hopefully you will agree with that. Hosea chapter 3 verse 5. But afterwards the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. 
Listen to this last part. In the last days, you hear Christians all the time say, this is the last days. In the last days, what's going to happen? They will tremble in awe of the Lord because he's out to kill them. That's what most people think. God is out to get you. He's going to slap you upside. He's got a big stick, and it's got your name on it. It says that the world is going to tremble in awe because of his goodness. Because he's so good. He's good. You see, people who do wrong don't think that God still wants good for them. He does. In the midst of your lowest point, it's just like water. The love of God and water is a good symbolic thing. Water always searches for the lowest ground, the lowest part of elevation. It's just searching, and it's searching, it's searching. That's the love of God. That's the goodness of God. The goodness of God is, I'm trying to get here low, low. I'm seeking the lowest person I can. And boom, he finds it. The biggest reject, the biggest mess up, the biggest, I, I, I have really just made a mess of things. God says, I'm here for you. I'm going to pick you up and I'm going to take you to the high place. Because you can't get there on your own, but I can get you there. I can get you there. And the world is going to know. Can you imagine people getting just trembling because God is so good? Oh, he's so good. When you start getting that message, when you start getting that message outside these four walls, they will start beating the door down. Why? Because they don't hear that very often. They hear like, oh, you're a real, you're just like your father. You're just like your mother. You're such a screw up. You're just, you're just. <sighs> but God wants you to know you're created in my image. You are created in my image. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, around 17 or so, did you find that the first time? Did you not find it? You did? You want to pull it? Is it 17? This is not on there. Do you not know? Oh, it's 9. I got the chapter right. All right. That's credit. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you not be deceived? Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, nor sodomites nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, stop right there. So in other words, he, you know, if you just read that, you might think, man, so if a Christian ever commits adultery or if a Christian ever gets drunk, they're going to split hell wide open. And that's what most Christians believe and teach and amplify. Verse 11, is it, or whatever the next one is, 11. And such were, everybody say were. Were some of you. He said, that's what you were. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. In other words, he says, it's a difference between doing something and being something. If you commit adultery, that does not mean you're an adulteress. If you're a child of God. Now, I know that may just pull the rug out from underneath you, but it's true. It's just like the guy, the prodigal son, living with the pigs. You're acting like a pig, and you smell like a pig, and you're eating like a pig, but the daddy's going to say, you're still my son. That's what you were, but that's not what you are now. Why? Because the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to sanctify you, to separate you, and to make you my child no matter what mud hole you've been in. 
Now, if you, don't, you tell me, if people hear that kind of message, that God still loves them, it's going to take them off that road and get back on the right path. Not you dirty, stinking person, you. Jeremiah. Let me give you a quote from Bill Johnson. I don't know where I got this. He's a pastor in California. He says this, The greatest vacuum on the planet is the goodness of God in the heart of man. I believe that. The church doesn't even know how great and good God is, much less the world. And how can the world know if the church doesn't have a clue? Because we, we still are, are grading on a performance level of how good God is. If I'm good, God will be good to me. If I read my Bible and if I do good to people the best I can, if I'm good, then God will be good to me. You know what God calls that? Self-righteousness, which is a stench, a stench in his nostrils. Which means God can smell dirty stuff. But what God wants you to know is, it's not by my works or by my righteousness, it's by Jesus. The world needs to hear that message because they feel like I can't live up to that. I'm a pastor. Join a club. Neither can I. And neither can you. And neither can anybody else. But we look at people and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. You know, so you want to be the best sinner that goes to hell? I mean, you're in hell. Go, Yeah, but I'm still not as bad as you. I'm just saying. I'm just saying I'm not as bad as you. Yeah, but you smell like smoke to me. <laughs> oh, no, God doesn't grade on a curve. When I was in school, I loved that. Didn't you love that? I love getting a grade on a curve. Oh, I got a 70. Teacher says, I'm giving everybody 20 points. <laughs> God doesn't do that. God didn't think, oh, you're not as bad as those sinners, you know, so I'm a grade on a curve. No, he says this. If you're not perfect, you can't get in. If you're not perfect. 100%. If you're 99.9999999 you're still not perfect and you can't get in. That's why you and me needed a savior. So now it's not based upon Mike. Oh, come on now. I said it's not based upon Mike. It's based upon Jesus. It's based upon him and how much love he loves me. That will set the captive free. That will cause somebody that be totally transformed to be a, a caterpillar to become a butterfly. That's what God wants. And love is the only thing that will do that. The goodness of God being preached is the only thing that will do that. Did I read Jeremiah 32 yet? Okay, we're reading Jeremiah 32 verse 40. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. That's not my opinion. Everybody understand that's in the word of God. I mean, that's not Mike Davis quote underneath that. That's I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me and they will never leave me. You know what? That means that it's not based upon what I do. It's based upon his goodness that causes me to worship him all the days of my life. But if you do not know how good God is, that's why people don't want to worship him. That's why people don't want to 
come to church or anything else because they still think that God's against them. He says, I will, I've always been for you, and I'm always going to do good for you. I am always going to do good for you. I'm telling you, if people knew that, they would be knocking the walls down. God, Jesus has qualified you and me to receive the goodness that he has provided. Jesus qualified you and me. I said, Jesus qualified you and me to receive his goodness. To receive his goodness. It's not our behavior that bothers God. It's our lack of identity. It's not our behavior that bothers God. You heard me right. And it's on tape if you want to listen to it again. It's not your behavior that bothers God. It's your identity. Just like the prodigal son living in the pig pen. His behavior didn't bother him. It's like, you know, you're, you're not a pig. Go look in the mirror. You're not a pig. You smell like one. You're eating like one. But you're not one. You're my son. So he said, go look into the mirror. And what does the Bible say? Look into the perfect law of mirror of God, which is his word. And it will show you who you are. I'm a child of the Most High. I'm the righteousness of God. I've been made the head and not the tail. He loves me all the days of my life. He only thinks good thoughts toward me. That is my Father, and that's who I am. That's who you are. That's who you are. And again, I don't, because I know some people can take this wrong. You're saying, so should we never say anything about abortion? No, I'm not saying that. Please, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, have the wisdom of God, number one, and then number two, make sure it's the love of God. Not just getting the letter of the law, because the Bible says the letter of the law killeth. And we've been doing a lot of killing. And I'm not talking about babies. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about people. I'm going to give you the truth. Stab him with the sword. Now. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the will of God. Hmm. We're all happy now. You know your Bible. You're stabbing people with it. I'm telling you, Jesus, he was just such an expert at loving people in the midst of their lowest point. I believe we're going to get better and better at it at Rocky Mountain Family Church and at everybody that's watching online. Luke 10, I'm going to close with this, Luke 19. This is the story of Zacchaeus. Let me just back up. Let me just tell you a little secret. The closer you get to me, the more that you may not like. When you just see me from the pulpit, I love Pastor Mike. He's just, I love him. I just love him. You start spending time with me, and you go, oh, I, I, I didn't know that. What political affiliation are you? Oh, I did not know that. That's why I don't say anything about that. So you still love me. I'm behind the pulpit. No, I'm just kidding. But anyway, is that really important? Is that really important? What is important? Jesus said this. It's all about Jesus because his disciples says, you know, there's a group over there. They're not following us. And they're preaching, you know. That, and Jesus said, leave them alone. If they are for us, 
then they're not against us. So you and I and any other believer outside of this church, if our foundation is Jesus, we can have a relationship. It's not because of what you do, what you believe, or anything else. What, you believe in Jesus? Okay. You want to go have coffee? Okay, now I can go on to Luke 19. I'm going to close with this. 1 through 10. This is the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a tax collector, and he was rich. Now, you've got to know the history of tax collectors in the time of Jesus. You know, people make fun of the IRS today. They, back in that day, man, they were scoundrels. They were thieves. They would rob people of money. If you don't do this, then they're going to say you're going to go to jail. They had power over people. They were just mean people. So that's the kind of person Zacchaeus is now. You got it? All right, verse 3. And he sought to see Jesus, Zacchaeus did, but could not because of the crowd, for he was a short stature. Probably like me. No, but anyway. How many... That's not funny. It's, you remember the story? Zacchaeus was a wee, wee little man. A wee little man was he? You want me to sing? Okay. Verse 4. So he ran and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make case and come down for today. I must stay at your house. So it's okay to invite yourself over to people's houses. It's, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Because I'm going to tell you no. But anyway, verse 6. So he made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. But when they saw it, who's the they? The religious people. The religious people sit there and said, they all complained saying he was gone. He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord. I give half of my goods to the poor, and I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation. I'm going to restore it four times. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to, the house, to your house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and save which was lost. Let me ask you this. Did Jesus say anything to Zacchaeus about his behavior? Again, I'm not saying that you, you never say anything about people's behavior, but I am saying this. The most powerful thing that people can have an encounter with, when the love of God showed up at Zacchaeus' house, the love of money and greed left. That's the power of the gospel. Zacchaeus just started going, hey, Lord, if I've wronged anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times. I'm, I mean, I, 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 I've been doing wrong. I'm, just, I'm not just going to give it back. I'm going to give it back four times. Jesus didn't tell him that. He didn't tell him that. So this is what we're going to do. Three things that the Lord told me. I pray that every woman who's watching this or if you're in here, if you've had an abortion or whatever, I want you to know and I want people to know who are watching that you're loved, that you're accepted, and that you're welcome. Period. I'm not condoning and I'm not saying anything that, you know, to raise people up, but I am saying this. The love of God wants you to know that today. The love of God wants you to know that. We're going to do something very different today. 
When I woke up early this morning, I felt like the Lord wanted me to do this. I usually have um, prayer people on my left and right to come up and pray, but today we're going to do it different. We're going to—I've asked the worship team to come and sing, and while they're singing, if you can just, when I tell you to, we'll stand and just for about five minutes. If there's anybody here who has something in your past, and I'm not saying if you've had an abortion, maybe so, I don't know, but it doesn't have to be that. There's just something in your past that you've not been able to shake. It just feels like it's been tattooed on the back of your brain. You've just not been able to get rid of and shaken it because of it was maybe bad. Maybe it wasn't that bad, but it was just wrong. You've not been able to shake it. The Lord told me this. He says, I want people to be 100% set free today by my love by my acceptance, and by you welcoming them. And so what we're going to do is I want you to come down. When we start singing, you come down. If that fits your category, you come down. There, you, this is a safe place. Are you hearing me? I said this is a safe place. So you can come down here, and we'll line up here, and I'll give everybody a few minutes, and then I'll pray for you while they're singing. But I just want you to know that God loves you so much. I tried to explain the goodness of God, and I'm telling you, it is beyond words. It is beyond articulating how, I mean, how good he really is, how accepting he really is, and how much he wants you to know that you're acceptable in his sight today and that he loves you. Can we all just stand? If there's anything in your past, just something, anything, Today's the day that God wants you to leave it at Rocky Mountain Family Church, and when you walk out that back door, you will be 100% free never to entertain that thought again as far as, and if that thought comes to you, you'll have the ability to say, no, I'm sorry, I left that at, at the church. You have to go to the church if you want to find that. I don't have that anymore. I do not have that anymore. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. It cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so you're not a pig today. You're still a daughter of Almighty God. You're still a son of Almighty God. And God wants you to know that. Amen? Let's sing this song. If you need prayer, you come up here and you can line up here. Go ahead.